Welcome to My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. Today we are joined by the excellent Matt Bevan from America, if you're listening, formerly known as Russia, if you're listening. Welcome on the show today, Matt Bevan. How are you? I'm very well. By the way, I wouldn't recommend renaming your podcast. It's very complicated and problematic. Yeah. A little lesson if you are a podcast maker, don't rename it. I was thinking the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, well, Prince didn't have to deal with URL problems. Oh, oh of course. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, when James said, we need to rename our podcast because I'm not technically your friend that's never listened to a podcast now I've listened to heaps we should change the name and I was like no as long as it's not because you aren't friends anymore <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for being on the show with us today what I think would be really good for our listeners is if you gave us a bit of a brief intro so yes uh, hello my name is Matt Bevan I work for the ABC I started at the ABC about oh gee uh, 12 years ago in my hometown of Newcastle New South Wales and working in local radio there then moved to local radio in Sydney for a few years and then in 2016 I got a job as a newsreader and reporter for Radio National Breakfast which led me to start doing an international news segment every day on Breakfast Radio Awesome, and that international news segment quickly became filled with news about Donald Trump. Really funny at the start of 2016 when there used to be days when not much was around or maybe it was just a dual heist that I would <laughs> yeah. talk about that day, not the impending collapse of democracy. <laughs> Eventually, we started doing a lot of Donald Trump stuff, and eventually th th I didn't really have space for that on the radio anymore. <laughs> they couldn't give me the amount of space that I wanted, and so I started doing a podcast, particularly about the interference of Russia in the 2016 US presidential election, and it went fairly well. And Brilliant. then we moved on to just talking about Russia's interference all over the world last year, and then this year we've changed the name and we're just focusing on the effect that Donald Trump has had on America. America and the world. That's what we're doing at the moment. And as I started doing that, I moved back home to Newcastle. And so I'm doing an international news podcast out of <laughs> Newcastle, which is a very adorable thing to do, I think. Oh, we love Newcastle. James and I have worked in Newcastle many times. You used to stay at Noah's on the Beach? Oh, yes. I, that was where my wedding reception was. I wanted to ask you, Matt, actually, how you became so interested in Donald Trump, but you've already answered my first question that he was just taking up so much of your news segment mm. did you make the proposal to the abc for the podcast or did they approach you i actually pitched it as a book first oh. but couldn't find anybody that wanted it <laughs> <laughs> And then I went, well, I could kind of get that. Uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, I'd never written a book before and I was just this idiot talking about Trump all the time on the radio and I could understand why they may want more expert people to do that. And so I went, well, I'm fairly good at radio and I don't know, really know anything about writing a book. So maybe if someone would want it as a radio thing rather than as a, um, uh, as, as a podcast audio thing rather than as a book. And uh, it turns out that they did. Nice. That was basically how it went. But yeah, it was originally a book, but... Nobody wanted it as a book, <laughs> so it's a podcast. <laughs> you have such a good radio voice, though, Matt. I think this is the perfect medium for you. This is 
is my father's voice. My dad was an ABC broadcaster for more than 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I've just inherited his voice. I can't claim credit for that at all. Now, I was going to say, because when you said you've been on at ABC for 12 years, I was doing a little bit of digging and I actually saw that your first correspondence, they might have been when you were at the age of 14. Yep. Did your dad call you some sort of nuclear yep. radioactive disaster yeah. in your hometown? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what happened is, long story short, I... <laughs> I was at school, I was in year nine, and and one of the kids in the year above me, well, what he says is that he found on the ground near a, a local TAFE a, a canister of some kind Ooh. and picked it up and went, gee, this looks interesting. I'll take it into school and show my science teacher and he can tell me what it is. So he did that and he brought it into school and he opened the canister and the science teacher said, what you've got there is cesium-137, which is a radioactive element. And so you and I need to go to the hospital and (laughs) this classroom needs to be locked down and probably all the classrooms around it as well. And anyway, so this sort of word got out that something was happening out of... At Merriweather High School, but the, nobody at the Department of Education would talk about it oh, on the radio. Course, and my dad was doing a morning's radio program and went, you know, uh, my son's there and <laughs> we just bought him a, his first mobile phone. And so uh, why don't I give him a call? And um, Call him at $1.59 a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Hang on, pause for a second, because I've got the audio somewhere here. Oh, I was can have literally going to say, no way really? do you have the audio. Never been used anywhere before. My voice hadn't broken at this stage. <sighs> That was my question. I was like, I wonder if he if he put on Dad's voice back then. No, if it's developed over time. Just to clarify, this was your first ever broadcast. Yep, first ever yeah. time on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here it is. This is an exclusive. It is an exclusive because no one's ever asked for it before. Not so much. <laughs> no one's ever cared. Here we go. Here it is. 12.33, ABC Newcastle. It's 7 to 11 and a couple of things on the boil at the moment. One at Merriweather High School where, as you've heard from Liz Farquhar, there are various police hazmat operations there. Mary Louise Vince from our newsroom has gone down and she'll be bringing you the official story of what's happening there in a moment. But as I've mentioned to you a couple of times in the past, I do have connections to Merriweather High School. My son attends the school. My wife teaches at the school. And uh, my son is, in fact, online because I thought, you know, as a concerned father, the first thing to do would be to find out what's going on from your own uh, your own perspective and so matt bevan's with me now g'day matt hello where are you you're in the playground as i understand um no i've moved over into the area where they actually are at the moment where who where who actually is matt around the area where the uh where this incident has happened i'm not not 100 percent sure as to what's happened but um at the moment there's a police rescue squad they're all wearing white and they've got you know belts and stuff on and there's, there was police patrolling the area. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that happened was they evacuated the block and all the classrooms around it. And um, currently there's uh, some science teachers around the area and some fire fire, um, fire guys. Um, yeah, fire brigade. <laughs> fire brigade, <people. laughs> And they're um, <clears throat> standing out the, outside the prep room. And uh, not, not much activity at the moment. And they evacuated the entire block, so upstairs and downstairs. Matt, thank you very much. That's all right. Bye-bye. My, my son, Matt, there. It's good to know from my own personal perspective that he's okay. Oh, Matt, that is brilliant. You sound just like your dad. 
Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It's very weird. I'm actually sitting in the exact same studio. I'm actually sitting in the exact same studio in the, in the same exact same spot as he was. That's mental. Then 17 years ago. Oh, mate, that is brilliant, man. I just I loved how you could obviously tell you'd been exposed to radio all your life, so you wanted to be really professional. You're trying to give as much detail as you could. Those those fire fire. Fire Guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Fire Guys has become a thing in our family <laughs> that I am made fun of uh, 17 years later. It was funny because they called me up and I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. They're just like, just, just describe all of the things that you can see and that'll be fine. Just describe what you can see. And so therefore, you know, smash cut to me going and they're wearing belts. And <laughs> Lovely. Oh, well, how could you not get into radio after that? Oh, totally. It's wicked. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, your, your questions and, and your, your descriptions have definitely come a long way since then. <laughs> yeah, I do know what firefighters are called now. <laughs> I figured that out. Up until recently, this was my first ever political podcast that I've listened to, and they kind of scared me a little bit. So when I was looking into Matt Bevan, I wanted to know like who you were before you got into America, if you're listening. And yeah, I saw that one of our biggest connections for you and I was that we've both got a background in drama. Mm. And when you started describing that story just then, the first ever play that I was in was called A Boy Called Tom. And it was a, basically a rhyme. It was a boy whose name was Tom who made a high explosive bomb by mixing <laughs> up some iodine with sugar, plow, and pasta. And he took it to school. And you pretty much just described what happened <laughs> in Newcastle all these years ago. So, oh, that's brilliant. So tell me more. So then you, so you obviously grew up in Newcastle. You mm. said you did a bit of a stint away and came back recently mm. where did life take you between drama tutoring and the abc that was pretty much it it's the whole story of matt bevan it's not there's, there's not there's not a whole lot more to it i lived in sydney for nine years oh sydney okay yeah i've done a lot of well travel mm. but not for work basically just for leisure mm. as you do before you have children but now i have an unreasonable number of children and so that was unsustainable in sydney and so i <laughs> Oh. Uh, we've moved back to Newcastle with our four-year-old, two-year-old, and our baby twins. Bloody hell! You got the twin. Was it they a surprise? Yes, they. they yes, they were <laughs> a joyous surprise. Yes, my friend recently had the twins as well. Hooray! We need to buy a new car. <laughs> yeah. Are you moving to the people mover? Oh yeah. 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 Yep. When you've got four kids aged five and under you have to have four Ooh. car seat attachments and there aren't actually that many cars that have those so your options are quite limited mm. and you mentioned world travel matt was the u.s part of that world travel yeah a bit we went on a whim actually when the uh, back in 2011 when the u.s dollar dropped and suddenly mm. we we're all millionaires in the u.s <laughs> and so we went over for a little bit <laughs> Just in New York and travelled around there and, and had a look at that and then came back. And at the time, it wasn't uh, anything particularly special for me, not any more special than India or Europe that we went. But then circumstances conspired and America became this incredibly important thing that you had to understand particularly in my job where, because of the time that we were on, things kept breaking in the middle of our program. Mm. Big news kept breaking. You know, James Comey's been fired. And mm. what does that mean for the, the FBI director being fired? And there's suddenly, you know, there's a special counsel investigation and all that sort of thing. And all these things kept happening literally in the middle of, of our show. And I realized that I had to know enough about it that I could just, oh, breaking news, James Comey, this is his background. This is everything you need to know about James Comey. 
me, you know, breaking news, this guy's been arrested, this is everything that you know, need to know about this guy. And yeah, so it was basically a, a study project for me for a year oh. throughout sort of late 2016 and all of 2017, I just did enormous amounts of reading and about US politics and US history, mm. brought myself up to speed on it so that I would be able to comment on it when news broke. Nice. The US wasn't particularly important to me before it was necessary. And America, if you're listening, is quite different in format to Russia, if you're listening. The Russia, if you're listening, was lots of episodes, whereas for America, if you're listening, there's only nine. Was that a conscious choice? Uh, no, it was really out of necessity, really. So COVID-19 really changed a lot for everyone. Damn you, COVID. Yeah, damn COVID. <laughs> It wasn't necessarily a bad thing for us, but basically I was hoping that we'd be able to do a series earlier in the year, but COVID-19 meant that we all suddenly had to work, figure out how to work from home. And also one of my producers, Will Ockenden, created and became the main producer of the phenomenally successful podcast Coronacast mm. with Norman Swan and, and Tegan Taylor. Which I listen to every single day. Yes, it's become a habit for a lot of people. Yep. It's an incredible success for the ABC mm -hmm. and it really foresaw a need that a lot of people had and it was early on, really early mm. on in the process and so it really has become a, a habit for thousands and thousands of Australians. And so Will was doing that and basically doing that a lot, you know, spending an enormous amount of time getting that off the ground and promoting it and moving it and getting a system built where they could sustainably chug out episodes every day with Norman's other commitments and that sort of thing. And so Will wasn't available to us until later on in the year. Okay, sure. In the end, all of us were available for nine weeks. And so that's why it's nine episodes, basically. But it also creates a sense of urgency, I think, as well. So when we reviewed it last week, Ollie said to me, we had our schedule planned out till December in terms mm. of podcasts that we we're waiting to release. But she's like, we need to chuck this in the middle. We're going to have to make a public apology to our listeners. We're going to have to chuck this in there because people need to hear this podcast and they need to start listening to this regularly in the lead up to uh, November 3rd. So this kind of sense of urgency hit last week. I had to binge listen to your six episodes till then and then this mm. morning we both listened to the seventh. It feels like it almost works, if that makes sense. Yeah, there is a sense of urgency. Yeah, it's something that because we kind of knew in the middle of the year that this is how it was going to go, mm. I was able to spend a bit of time doing the research up. And so when the first episode came out, we had eight written in first draft form. But the way that we write them and the way that we produce them, and this is really one of the advantages of doing it in a podcast and not doing it on television or one of those other mediums that takes a longer period of time to produce things, is news can break during the final weeks of the election campaign, which it undoubtedly will and has already. Mm -hmm. And we can just go, all right, that fits into episode seven. We just have to redo act two and redo that little bit and it'll slot in there and make it seem like we meant to do this all along. But the thing is, by picking nine topics to cover and sort of guessing which ones were most likely to have late breaking news on them and sort of putting them towards the end of the series, we were able to sort of structure it in a way that we'd be able to cope with the breaking news. A lot of people sort of wonder why we're doing it in this way where we're not really paying attention to the daily news cycle of the campaign. And the, basically the reason for that is that we discovered fairly early on in the whole process of making this is that there are so many very good podcasts that do that already. Mm -hmm. And we went, here's a little niche where we spend time researching, structuring, producing story-based podcasts rather than breaking news-based podcasts. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know what's happening in the campaign, then you're much better off listening to one of the 
reporters who actually is in America and isn't in Newcastle. And <laughs> one of the people who've worked on previous campaigns or... Like Pod Save America? Like Pod Save America or groups of veteran journalists. These people are far better placed to cover this stuff than I am. But our skill, as, as I see it, is storytelling and putting a whole bunch of stories that broken individual pieces into a timeline and making them fall together in a way that makes sense. And to be honest, I've been surprised how few other podcasts have done that. Mm. I don't quite understand why there isn't a big New York Times podcast that is doing the same thing as us and blown us out of the water, but they haven't, so... I was actually talking to Ollie about that yesterday. When she mentioned a political podcast to listen to, I was like, no. He was not (laughs) excited. I was like, no, is that really something you want to do? Is it going to be something that I enjoy? And you just hit the nail on the head then. You've told a story and you made it so much more engaging that I was sitting there going, no, yes. You're following it along like Mm. you would a true crime podcast because of that storytelling. So you've done that so well. Will and Yaz, my producers, that is their background. So they were the producers of Trace. Love Trace. Uh, They worked on the Trace podcast, the first series. and, And Yaz has just finished working on the second series of Trace as their producer as well. So yeah, true crime podcasting and structuring episodes in a true crime podcast way is really their thing. What I really like is going, right, so here's the thing that's just happened now. Here's everything that you need to know about this leading up to this point. Here's history. Mm. Are you able to tell us what the final two episodes are about, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. So second last episode is about Trump and China. So Trump and China and Trump's, particularly focusing on Trump's relationship with the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, Mm. and how Trump was so singularly focused on the idea that China is screwing America on trade and needs to be brought into line on trade, paid so much attention to that, that he kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to a lot of the other things that China has been doing in the last four years. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the focus of, of episode eight. And the final episode is is the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no shortage of coverage of the pandemic. You want to know, you know how Donald Trump handled the pandemic, you can look at a hundred different outlets. But what I am kind of looking at in and the thing that intrigues me is following the way that the Trump administration ran the US government. And you've got to remember that the US government is many things, one of which is an organ for keeping Americans safe from things. Mm. And all these different government departments have different jobs in terms of what they keep Americans safe from. And often the thing that they are defending Americans from has nothing to do with the actual name of the department that they work in. So the Department of Energy, for example, stops nuclear bombs from accidentally going off in America. They have an intelligence arm that stops other countries from getting nuclear bombs. So they are the ones that were in charge of trying to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear bomb, for example, and and crafting the Iran nuclear deal. So that's the Department of Energy. The Department of Commerce is the one that runs the weather service and warns Americans about hurricanes. It doesn't make any sense, but (laughs) essentially that's what it does. The Department of the Interior runs the earthquake monitoring. And the thing is that the Trump administration came in and they really weren't particularly interested in learning any of that Mm. and learning who did what and who really knew what they were doing and how to make sure that all of these parts of the US government kept doing the things that they do to keep Americans safe from catastrophe. And they really had no interest in that. And when you look at it in hindsight, it kind of was a matter of time before one of these things 
that one of these US government departments was meant to protect Americans from, it was going to fall through because the Trump administration paid no attention to it, fired the people who knew what they were doing, replaced them with people who didn't know what they were doing. And it so happens, purely by coincidence, it so happens that it was the Department of Health and Human Services that couldn't build a testing system to detect coronavirus spreading through the US and then couldn't convince Americans to do the things they had to do in order to try and prevent the spread. That is such a clever angle, Matt. Mm. Everything you said just then, I was like, really? Yeah, yeah. Really? It's, it's, <laughs> I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, it's, there's this really excellent book by Michael Lewis. He became very famous over his book Moneyball. Turned into a movie, yep. Which was turned into that movie with Brad Pitt in it, yeah. And he did this book, which was basically that he interviewed people in the departments of energy, agriculture, and commerce about how the Trump people were handling it. And they went, they're not. They're not handling it at all. <laughs> we are three departments that really just needs to be, you just need to put the right people here and we will take care of all these things. Mm -hmm. We will stop Americans from starving. We will stop tainted meat from being sent all over the country and poisoning people. Mm. We will predict when hurricanes and tornadoes are coming and we will stop nuclear meltdowns and nuclear disasters, but you need to send the right people here. And the Trump people just didn't. And it was a terrifying book to read. And it made me think, you know, what's going to happen? One of these things is going to... It so happened that he he didn't look at the Department of Health and Human Services just by coincidence, but basically the same thing was going on there. Wow. Gosh. Why do you think somebody would vote for Trump, Matt? Well, I can, I can think of a lot of reasons why someone would vote for Trump. And it is basically... America is such a big place. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for us and really hard for anyone in any other country apart from maybe India to understand how big and varied the United States is. Mm -hmm. It is such a collection of very different people with such different experiences who have led such different lives and have such incredibly different heritages. And what's happened in the last few decades is... A group of people have become incredibly rich and powerful, particularly on the two coasts mm -hmm. around New York and Washington, D.C., and the, the entire western seaboard, really, particularly around Seattle, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that there's so many Americans who don't live in those places. Mm -hmm. So many. And it's so different to Australia. We think of America and Australia as being vaguely similar because we both have coastal cities. But you have to imagine Australia, like it is, rich people living in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and Perth. But then you also have to imagine that North Queensland has 70 million people living in it. Mm -hmm. In America, the equivalent 30th largest city in Australia would be, you know, something like Ballarat. What? Which is... <laughs> Tiny. Tiny, guessing entirely. But it doesn't take long down the list before you get to really small communities. Whereas in America, you go down the list and you get to the 30th largest city and it's still got millions of people living in it. Mm. And it'll, it'll be St. Louis or Orlando, Florida. And that's the thing, is that people really hate the way they're being ignored and they're not being governed for and they went, we're ready to blow it all up. Mm. And they voted for Donald Trump. And the particular thing that they didn't see coming was these enormous populations in Detroit and in 
Pittsburgh and particularly the the rural communities around Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Wisconsin and Michigan had just, the Democrats were like, yeah, they're always going to vote for us because they're workers, you know, they're unionized Mm -hmm. workers. But they didn't notice that all the unionized worker jobs are gone. And they didn't pay any attention to that. They thought that they never paid any attention to these people and never saw their loss coming. Hillary Clinton was convinced those three states would go for her. And so she was sort of reaching and going, well, maybe I'll also win Arizona. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll also Mm -hmm. win Georgia. And trying to go for a big win and didn't pay attention to these people who she assumed were going to vote for her and these people were going, yeah, you can't assume that we're going to vote for you. You've been ignoring us for decades and we have lost all our jobs. Our cities are falling apart. We hate the way that America is being run and we want someone who isn't like everybody else and they voted Mm. for Donald Trump. Entirely makes sense. And having had Trump for four years, do you think there's still, obviously there are still people who are very pro-Trump. Do you think they know everything that you discuss in your podcast? And if they did, would they still vote for Trump? I don't think that they know what I discussed in my podcast. And if they did, I think they would assume that I am lying because... (laughs) Fake fake news. Fake news, Yeah. 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 Because my sources for this, taking from multiple news outlets, all of which the president says are fake news and part of a conspiracy against him. So probably not. But the thing that, and and this is what Donald Trump is running into trouble with now, is that Donald Trump needed to grow his voter base Mm. from 2016 till now. Because unless someone as unpopular and vulnerable as Hillary Clinton ended up being his opponent, he was going to have to get more votes in order to hold on to the presidency. Mm. And he hasn't really made any effort to do that. He's done a lot of work to satisfy the people that voted for him, Mm -hmm. but he needs more. And he's also done a whole bunch of things that will have alienated a lot of the people that went, we're looking for something different. Not this is a lot of, you know, (laughs) uh, not this. uh, this But not not like that. (laughs) Let's put the Democrats back in and then see what outsider emerges next. Because Donald Trump has in many ways governed as a very traditional Republican with his tax cuts and his policies and his stacking the Supreme Court with conservative justices and, and that mm. sort of thing. And that makes people that were always going to vote for him happy. But the people who were trying him out are going, oh, I'm not sure that I like all this <laughs> stuff. I'm not sure that I'm entirely convinced by it. And also I'm totally not convinced by him doing bizarre things like starting a trade war with China with no real plan for how to win it or get out of it. Mm. And I think in many ways he's governed as a a very traditional Republican. His achievements as president would have been really the same if Mike Pence was the guy running it. And but the the Trump factor hasn't really added a lot that will satisfy the swing voters. And even now in in the late stages of the campaign, he's not paying much attention to them. Mm. And that's why it's looking like he's sailing towards a pretty serious loss. If you think about your goal for America, if you're listening to an international audience, what would you say it is? I work for the ABC. My job is to provide a product that is for Australians, that Australians find interesting and helps Australians understand the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do not want to try and influence a US presidential election because I <laughs> genuinely believe that that US presidential elections should be decided by people who live in America and shouldn't yep. be influenced by outside forces. All I've ever sought to do is to help Australians understand mm. what is happening in America and and to entertain and inform them. Yep. That's all I've ever really been interested in doing. Awesome. And that's why we explain a lot of background. For example, in our episode about you know race mm. in America in, in episode five, if I was making that podcast for Americans, you wouldn't go, here's a little lesson on the 1960s. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think Americans are pretty familiar with what happened in the 1960s and they know who Martin Luther King Jr. is and they know where he fits in in the timeline and it's taught in primary school Mm -hmm. for them, which is great. But my aim has always been to go, this is what's going on in this foreign country and this is how you can best understand it. What I would love, Matt, is if you would do what you've done for Russia, if you're listening, and America, if you're listening, for Brexit and Boris Johnson. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, we sort of did that, did a, a little bit of that in season three. We looked at that for a couple of episodes. Uh-huh. And I guess the thing ab- about that is that Brexit wasn't very close. Like it was close, but not nearly as down to the wire as Trump was. You've got to remember that Trump won by 80,000 votes spread across three states. Mm. Mm. And so there's a, a strong case that can be made. Essentially, everything that happened in 2016 was was what led to Trump winning because it's impossible to quantify what would have moved 80,000 votes. Mm. Yeah. It was just so unbelievably close. I think a lot of big factors similar to what brought Donald Trump forth that brought about Brexit and mm. in similar parts of England. You know, you have yeah. large parts of northern England that are that feel similarly ignored by a country that has really focused the growth of its economy on London. On London. <laughs> and particularly even more specifically the city of London. Mm-hmm. London's turned itself into basically a services company for Shell companies and oligarchs. <laughs> Europe and the rest of the world uh, and Russian <laughs> oligarchs as well. We're fine with that being the main thing that we do, that being the role that we play in the world and the rest of the country, which had felt that, you know, undermined by the same thing, loss of union jobs in mines and manufacturing mm-hmm. and their towns were being replaced by sportswear manufacturing facilities entirely filled by Polish migrants yeah. and mm. doing jobs that English people were like, well, I'm not doing that job. It's a terrible yeah. job and it's, it pays terribly and the, the, the conditions are terrible and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go and do that. You can understand why those people were like perhaps convinced incorrectly that the entire solution to this was to remove themselves from the European Union, but the, certainly Brexit was very much a protest vote yep. in the same way that Donald Trump was a protest vote. Mm. Well, what do you think comes next for you then? After November 3rd, with the scheduled nine episodes that you've got lined up, are there any other talks of podcasts on the horizon? No, nothing planned so far. I really enjoy doing this style of storytelling, and so, mm-hmm. but I don't know what's next for it. You know, this has been basically, you know, this series is basically the culmination of four years of research and reading and I don't know where, where to take it next. Your degree in American politics. Mm. And essentially, right? You've done your own research. I wonder then if that book that you talked about might come full circle. Has there been any talks of potentially turning the podcast into a book or nah. anything like that yet? No. Nah. Well, if anyone's listening with, um, <laughs> yeah. with any ability me an email. to, to yeah. sign them up. <laughs> no, 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 never. No, I haven't been approached for that. Basically, I think 2020 is an era where people are relying on proven things things to mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that, that they can keep above board. Uh, I need a bit of a break, I think. <laughs> a yeah, bit of a break sure. from this. <laughs> and are you, are you looking forward to November the 3rd? Do you have a prediction as to which way it's going to go? Either Joe Biden is going to win or the American polling industry might as well shut down and never be heard from again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, I mean, we're at the point now where the American polling industry has had ample time to adjust for their failure in 20. 2016. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have tested their methods at the 2018 election. And if they are incorrect now, because basically the polls are uniformly saying that Joe Biden is heading for quite a significant victory. If they're not right now, then they really might as well just pack up and find something else to do. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because really, they're worthless. If for all of them simultaneously saying that the result is going to be in one way, then you know what are they for, really? And twenty-five million people, I think, have voted already, which is mm-hmm. just unheard of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the big question, I, I guess. The thing that really the wild card is what's going to happen with all those early votes, and mm. how are they going to be handled? How is Donald Trump going to respond if he loses by a little bit? How is he going to respond if he loses by a lot? Is also a question. Yeah, yeah. Oh. which I have even less of an idea of how he will he will yeah. respond. As for going forward, for us, Donald Trump very much could win this election. Mm-hmm. I don't have any insight into the American electorate that isn't being provided by pollsters, and Donald Trump could very well win, and in which case there will be more stories to tell about him yeah yeah. yeah undoubtedly and you obviously enjoy listening to podcasts as well as making them so i know i mentioned this to you on the phone map but have you got a podcast recommendation for me have you guys done slow burn yet yes oh you've done slow burn that <laughs> <laughs> that's okay it's a great podcast. Let me have a, hang on. Let me have a think. Let me have a think. So scroll through your podcast app and tell me one of your faves. I'll give a bit of a precursor here. We've Ollie listens to about seventy hours of podcasts a week. Yes, I know. I know. It's difficult to find one. <laughs> have we had one? Oh, yeah, we've maybe one or two. I think where someone's been able to stump her with something that she's never heard of before. You know what? Here you go. He, here's one. Michael Lewis. I was talking about his book earlier. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. He came out with a, a follow-up podcast, which came out early this year, I believe, called Against the Rules, which was kind of a follow-up to his book. And it was really about the erosion of trust in institutions. Brilliant. Never heard of it. <laughs> there you go. Never heard of it. <laughs> you did it. You did this it. This is it. Thank you. There you go. It's a really good podcast. And he's an esoteric storyteller. And it's it's really interesting. And he, you know, his first episode is all about the way that America trust NBA referees and how all this Mm. effort has been gone to to make sure that NBA referees are unbiased and rule correctly and there is you know this a giant NBA review center which its whole job is to keep an eye on the refs and make sure that they're being fair and yet Americans still trust the refs less than ever before and and he sort of extrapolates this out to, to the way that America trusts other authority figures and that sort of thing it's really interesting the way that he nice. does it it's really good really worth listening to nice I've subscribed and I will be listening and James if I love it you'll be getting it as a recommendation you should probably knock it out this afternoon, to be honest. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We recently listened to 30 for 30s. ESPN. On ESPN and the NBA. Yeah. And that, again, blew my mind. Fascinating understanding who owns the NBA teams and how all that kind of politics takes place at a level that you're not really aware of. American sports are fascinating. And I say that as a person who is not actually interested in watching them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Just the way that they run, the way that they run and the stories behind how they run mm-hmm. are really, I imagine that you guys have already done the dollop. Yes. Oh, yeah, I haven't. And, and it's so odd that listening to the dollop, some of my favorite episodes are the ones about that are about baseball. And yet I have no interest in watching baseball. Mm. I'd never watch it. But the stories that they tell about baseball and the baseball history and the way that this sport has been you know, run and played for a century is just fascinating to me yep. i'm sure there would be similar stories about australian sport as well but if any if anyone ever got around to doing it so maybe maybe that's what i'll do i'll go and do um <laughs> i'll go and investigate the nrl i was like ugh, ugh, maybe not good luck good, <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> just have to say a massive thank you for, for obviously joining us today. We just can't rave enough about people getting involved, listening to 
America, if you're listening, formerly known as Russia, if you're listening, <laughs> and just following you on this journey, because the way you bring American politics to life in a way that's digestible for people and really interesting and really, really interesting is, is just done exceptionally well. So huge congratulations. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you. No worries. A huge thank you to Matt Bevan for joining James and I on My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. We think America, if you're listening, is a fantastic podcast that everybody should be checking out. As always, if you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on and feel free to like, subscribe and share it with any of your friends. It really does help other people find us. You can also get in touch with us via email. Our address is myfriendhasnever at gmail.com. We are also on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, a huge thank you to MJ from Multi Design for our theme music. All right, James, I'll talk to you on the other side. I'll talk to you on the other side, buddy.